Good morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Good. Everybody good? Everybody awake? Good. Is it crazy warm in here? Okay. So if I get like super into it and like start sweating, somebody hand me a handkerchief so I can be like an old school evangelist, wiping my brow, having a good time. But I'm like already cooking up here this morning. So just heads up. Front row is a splash zone up here this morning. So um, my name's Adam, like I said earlier, and we are starting today a new sermon series, a new sermon series called Exodus, A Journey to Freedom. We just left a sermon series on the renown of God or finding the renown of God in stories that we've heard of for a long time. We just dug through like six weeks of that through Easter, and last week we ended on Paul and Paul's transformation. And today... Today we're starting this Exodus journey. And, and, and as we dig into the book of Exodus, as we kind of thought about how would, we, how would we do this, how would we go about it, we said, well, maybe we could go verse by verse, but if we went verse by verse through Exodus, we'd be in Exodus for a year because it's a long book and there's a ton of good stuff in it, right? And I love the book of Exodus and we could stay in it for a year, but I think what a better serves us as a congregation is to kind of look at Exodus moment by moment kind of big thing, big idea, big thing, moment by moment or episode by episode through the book of Exodus for 12 weeks, right, for 12 weeks. So we're going to go to July 1st looking at the book of Exodus moment by moment. And if you look at a television show, um, an episode, an episode, you might be able to take an episode out and kind of watch it on its own and enjoy it. But that episode still fits in the story arc of the whole television show. And so as we take these episodes out of Exodus and kind of hang on to them just for a week at a time, understand that they still fit in with this grand story that God is laying out before us. And so episode by episode, we're going to walk through Exodus together. And as we dig into Exodus, we we want to understand how Exodus refers to our own story, how Exodus reflects our own story in our lives. And I feel like it does tremendously. The tagline for this series is Journey to Freedom. We get to look at how the Israelites are coming out of slavery and moving towards freedom. And as they're doing that, it's a reflection of our own lives. It's a reflection of our own heart, of our own condition before God. Where we are reflecting, or Exodus is reflecting back to us what we look like. And so what we want to do is to understand Exodus so that we can understand our own story, so that we can understand who we are and how God has created us and what God wants from us. So as we dig into Exodus today, we're not going to go too far into Exodus. But what we got to do today is understand how we get to Exodus chapter 1, verse 1, right? We got to understand how did the Israelites get to this place so that we know where they're going moving forward, right? It doesn't help us to just pick up the story right where it's at. we got to understand the backstory a little bit. So that's what we're going to do today. But I want to lay out a couple of things before we dig into that. I want to lay out the themes, the big ideas of the two main characters in the book of Exodus, the themes that are in the story over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. So we want to look at the two main characters. Really, you could say there's three characters in in the book of Exodus. You could say there's God, because God is prominent in the story. You could say there's Moses, because that's the guy we know of in the story, right? And then we could say there's the Israelites. But I'm going to say Moses is an Israelite, so he's bundled in. So really, we have two main characters, God and the Israelites, and how they relate to each other. 
So we want to look at the major themes for those two characters, and then we'll dig into how we got to Exodus 1, chapter 1, or chapter 1, verse 1. Everybody on board with me? Everybody? Okay, cool. The air conditioner kicked on. Do you feel it? Yeah, it's nice now. Uh, so the themes that we need to understand, the two main characters, God and the Israelites, let's look at the themes of God first. The themes of God first. The, God do, does these things over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. And the first theme I want you guys to remember over the next 12 weeks is this, that God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises. And we're going to dig into that this morning as we figure out how we got here. But God keeps his promises is a theme that we see over and over and over again in the book of Exodus. And it's not just the promises he's making right now. It's the promises that he made a long time ago, and he's still keeping them. And those same promises that he made a long time ago, he's still keeping today. And so we need to see that theme in the book of Exodus of God. That God keeps his promises. The second idea or the second theme of God is this, that God fights, God fights for his children. God fights for his children. And we see this all the time in Exodus where God is stepping in and saying, no, these are my people. These are my children. And I'm going to guide them and I'm going to shape the things around them so that they are protected. God fights for his children. A couple of years ago, we were, uh, we had, we were taking our daughter, Nora, who was at the time like one and a half, to her first baseball game, her first Royals game. And, and you know, uh, any kid that walks in there, if you make the mistake of heading towards the outfield first, it's hard to get them in their seat because there's playgrounds and carousels and all kinds of fun stuff going on. And Nora's playing on the playground. She's one and a half. She's little. And there are kids everywhere. And she is just running and having fun and laughing and having a blast. But there's one kid there. One kid there who I was just keeping my eye on him because he was maybe three or four, little redheaded kid, but he was a bulldozer, moving through crowds of kids, climbing up ladders, just moving around. And I got this little one and a half year old girl and I'm like, oh man, don't get near my kid, right? You know, and he's running around and Nora, you know, they bump into each other and it's no big deal and everything's going fine. And then I see this kid out of this, you know, I, I got my eye on him all the time, no matter where he's at. And he's over here and he's running towards Nora. And I'm like, okay, that's no big deal. And he starts to do this thing. And I recognize it because I'm a boy and I was little at one point, And he was doing this like karate kid ninja kick move. And he was coming at my kid, coming at Nora with this karate kid, kid move. And I was like, no way, man. And the fight in me wanted to just hip check him into the next county, right? That's my kid. I don't care if you're three, right? But I restrained myself and just kind of stepped in between and moved him aside. But that's how God fights, right? God wants to hip check the things that are coming after his children and get them out of the way. And God guides and directs and he fights for his kids. He doesn't care what kind of redheaded three-year-old's coming at your daughter, right? He's going to protect them. God fights for his children. He keeps his promises, and he fights for his children. And the third thing that we see in Exodus is this, that God wants to have a relationship with us. God wants to have a relationship with us. Time after time, again, God is saying, here, people of Israel, here is how you can live so that we can have a relationship together. And God is laying it out for them over and over and over again. So God keeps his promises. God fights for his children. And God wants to have a relationship with his children, right? He doesn't want to just be this king type figure. He wants to be hands-on. 
and have a relationship with his kids. So that, those are the major themes of God in the book of Exodus that we're going to look at over the next 12 weeks. So that's nothing crazy today. It's just something for you to take home and to think about as we dig into the messages over the next 12 weeks of, man, that is a time where God kept his promise. Oh, look at this, this episode. God was protecting his kids, right? In this next episode, God is laying out ways to have a relationship with him. So these are just themes of God. The theme, themes of the Israelites are this, desperation, repentance, and trying to figure out how to have a relationship with God. The Israelite people were desperate a lot of the time, where they were just crying out to God, God, why are we in this hard place? Why are we struggling? And then they would turn from their ways and trust God, repentance, and they would try and live in a way that they would have a relationship with him. So they were desperate, they repented, and then they would have try to live in relationship with him. Right? And we see this over and over and over again in Exodus. The Israelite people are constantly desperate, trying to do things on their own, trying to control a situation, trying to do things that are comfortable for them. And God is saying, no, you need to give those things up and repent of those things and turn towards me, and then I will help you. And then God gives them ways to have relationships with him. And so that's the life of the Israelite people over time. We see it all throughout Exodus, and we see it all throughout the Old Testament. Desperation leads to repentance, which leads to trying to live in relationship with God, trying to live in the presence of God. And so those are the themes of the Israelites. God keeps his promises. He fights for his kids, and he wants to have a relationship. And the Israelites are desperate, trying to do things on their own, turning from their ways towards God, and then trying to live a life in relationship with him. Those are the big things that I want you just to kind of internalize in your mind, in your hearts over the next 12 weeks of these are things that we can recognize in the scripture, in this story, in these episodes as we dig through them. So how did we get to Exodus chapter 1, verse 1? How did we get there? In order to do that, we need to know the origin story of the Israelites. The origin story of the Israelites. And so we go back in time of, of where kind of the Israelites started, and it started with a guy named Abraham. Or Abram, his name gets changed later to Abraham. I'm just going to call him Abraham because it's what it's easy, right? Today, but Abraham is considered the father of the Israelite nation, and God comes to Abraham and makes him some promises. He makes him a ton of promises. But today we're going to look at three promises that God makes Abraham, and how that gets us to the point of where we're at in Exodus, and how it gets us to the point where we're at with baptism today. All right, so three promises where God gets us to Exodus chapter one and then also all the way to today. All right, so in Genesis chapter 12, verse one, let's open your Bibles if you can get there. Genesis chapter 12, verse one is where we'll start. And we see the first couple promises. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those that bless you. In him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. So God makes a couple of promises to Abraham there. And he he already starts with his theme, one of his themes that we just talked about. So God comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, I want you to leave your father's house. 
Leave your family and follow me. Trust me. I'm going to show you where to go, but I need you to trust me. And if you do this, I'm going to do what? I'm going to make you a great nation. Promise number one. Starting with one man, I will make you a great nation. God makes this promise to Abraham. You follow me and I will make you great. I will make your descendants great. I will make you a great nation. And then God goes on to say, I will bless those who bless you. And those who dishonor dishonor you, I will curse you. I will fight for my people. I will fight for my children. Theme of God. Starting in Genesis. I will fight for my people. And then he wraps up the promises with this. In you, Abraham, all of the families of earth shall be blessed. So two promises. I will make you a great nation. And all of the families of earth will be blessed through you. Through this moment, Abraham, if you say, yes, I'm going to trust you, God, and move on with this, this is what's going to happen right now in this place. God makes Abraham two promises right there. And if we fast forward just a little bit to chapter 17 of Genesis, we see the third promise that kind of gets us to where we need to go today. When Abram was 99 years old, verse 1 The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I might make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name will be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant, to be God to you and your offspring after you, and I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all of the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession. And I will be their God. So God makes a couple of promises in there. He reiterates his previous promise that I'm going to make you a great nation. And he just like doubles down. I'm going to make you not only a great nation, but nations among, among nations. I'm going to be all over this, Abraham. I'm, I'm with you in this. I'm promising you these things. And then he says, I will be your God. And you will be my people. And I will give you the land of your sojournings. I will give you the land that you're traveling in. I will give you the land of Canaan. And we've heard it all of our lives, if you've been in church, the promised land. This is the land that God is promising Abraham. This is the land that God is promising the Israelites. The promised land. So three promises from God. He will make you a great nation. He will give you the promised land. And all of the families of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. That's the beginning of the Israelite story. That's the beginning of the nation of Israel, of God's chosen people, is one man saying yes to God and trusting him. And God sets up a covenant promise with him and lays out these things that he will do for him. So how did we get from there? How did we get to Egypt. We all know at the beginning of Exodus, the Israelites are enslaved in Egypt. So how did we get there? And I could walk you through it verse by verse in Genesis, but it's crazy long. So I'm going to give you the Truax abbreviated version of this story. 
Abraham says yes to God and trusts him and has a son named Isaac. Isaac then has two sons, Jacob and Esau, and one of those sons, Jacob, has 12 boys. And those 12 boys go on to become the nation of Israel. But their story is so crazy and so cool, but it gets us to Egypt. So of those 12 sons of Jacob, one of them's name is Joseph. And Joseph is the one that Jacob loves the most. He's just a fan. He's just all about Joseph. Jacob can't get enough of him. And to the point where he is giving him gifts and lavishing him with things. And his brothers are starting to get jealous. And then one day, Jacob says to Joseph, come here, man. I got this. I was at the market today and I found this sweet coat. It's got so many colors in it. And I want you to have it. And he gives Joseph this coat with all kinds of colors in it. And his brothers go, man, our dad doesn't love us. He never gives us things like this. And they're jealous and they're frustrated that they don't have the love of their father that they think they deserve. And so they take matters into their own hands and they take Joseph and they rip the coat off of him and they take Joseph and they sell him into slavery. And they go back to their father with this coat that they've rubbed goat's blood on and they say, dad, look, Joseph's dead. Sorry, man, your favorite son, he's gone. And his father is heartbroken. And meanwhile, Joseph is heading into slavery and he makes his way to Potiphar's house. And when he's at Potiphar's house, he becomes a servant of Potiphar and he starts working for him. And, and Potiphar every, gives Jacob some things to do and every, or not Jacob, Joseph, things to do. And everything that Joseph does is blessed. Everything that Joseph does it just goes amazing. Everything goes perfect. And Potiphar notices and just gives him more and more responsibility to where he's running the household and everything is just working for Joseph to the point where Potiphar's wife notices as well and tries to seduce him. And we've got children in here, so we won't go too deep into that story, but she tries to seduce Joseph and Joseph refuses and runs away. And he gets blamed for something that he didn't do and gets thrown in jail, thrown in prison. So Joseph is now no longer with his family in the promised land of Canaan. He is in Egypt in prison. And he's there with a couple of guys. And one of them is the, the, the cupbearer to Pharaoh, the leader of Israel. Or not Israel, of Egypt. And the cupbearer has this dream and, and he can't figure out what the dream means. And, and Joseph listens to him and, and explains the dream to him. And it comes true. And in that explanation, he was restored back. The cupbearer was restored back to his position that he was in before with Pharaoh. So Pharaoh and the cupbearer are now right next to each other all the time. If you don't know what a cupbearer is, he's the guy that tastes all the food and the drink before you give it to the king just to make sure A, it tastes good and B, it's not poisoned, right? And so he's tasting this food for Pharaoh. So he's right next to him all the time. And Joseph had asked this guy, hey, remember me when you get up there. Remember me. Remember me when you're back in your position. And two years pass, and this guy has forgotten about Joseph. And Pharaoh... Pharaoh starts to have dreams that he doesn't understand, and they are just bothering him. He doesn't understand what these dreams are. And he goes to his advisors and to, to his people, and he says, can you explain this to me? And nobody can. Nobody can figure out what's going on. Nobody at all. And then finally, the cupbearer goes, oh, yeah, there's this guy in prison that helped me with a dream. Maybe he could help you. 
And so they send for Joseph and bring him up. And he hears Pharaoh's dream and he interprets it. And he tells Pharaoh, hey, Pharaoh, in your dream, it's, it means this. It means that for seven years in the land that we live in, for seven years, things are going to be great. We're going to have so much food, so much stuff harvesting. Everything's going to be perfect. There's going to be plenty of everything. But seven years after that, there'll be famine. Nothing will grow. Nothing will live. So we need to get ready for those seven years of famine. In the seven years of plenty, we need to get ready for the seven years of famine. And Pharaoh hears this and puts Joseph in charge of that task of preparing the nation of Egypt for what's coming, this famine. And he takes, Joseph takes this charge on and just goes after it. And because God is with him and God's been blessing everything Joseph does, everything is blessed. Things are even more plentiful than they could imagine. They have so much stuff. They build storehouses and store the grain and the wheat and the, and the, and the leftover crops for future years. And the seven years pass and everything's going well. And now famine has come. But the Egyptians, they're doing great because they have everything they need. And these guys come to Joseph and they say, hey, Joseph, we live in the land of Canaan and famine has struck there too. Can you help us out? Can we buy some food off of you guys and take it back? And Joseph recognizes this group of men as the brothers that sold him to slavery, the brothers that meant harm for him, showed up in Egypt. And, he's, and he recognizes his brothers. And we could go through the four or five chapters that that lays into, but ultimately what happens is Joseph says, hey guys, I'm your brother. And they're terrified that he's just gonna destroy him because now he's got the upper hand. But he says, I'm, I'm your brother and I love you. What you meant for harm, God meant for good. So come in and come live with us in Egypt. Come live with us in Egypt so that your family can be saved from this famine. So the brothers go back to Canaan and get their dad and their family and they head to Egypt. They head to Egypt and 70 people, 70 people from Jacob's family all of his sons and their families, 70 people make their way to Egypt and stake a claim in Egypt and start living there. And then fast forward 430 years. And scholars say at the time of the Exodus, at the time of the beginning of the book of Exodus, 2.4 million Israelites are living in Egypt. So from one man, Abraham, to his son Isaac, to his son Jacob, to his kids, the 12 tribes of Israel, and 70 people moving to Egypt. 2.4 million people come of that. I will make you a great nation, God told Abraham. From one man, 2.4 million, and even more after that. God keeps his promises. He keeps his promises. I will give you the land of Canaan, God says to Abraham, and they go live in the land of Canaan, and then famine strikes, and they're removed from that. And now the Israelite people are not living in the promised land anymore. They're not living where God promised them that they would live. They're living in Egypt, and, and, and they're struggling there. And as we see in the book of Exodus, as we move through it, that God's promise of that doesn't go away either. 
He gets them back to where they need to be. God keeps his promises. I'll make you a great nation. I'm going to get you back to your promised land. Exodus chapter 1 says this. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob. Each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Issachar, Zebulon, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher, and all of the descendants of Jacob were there. Seventy persons. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died, and all of his brothers, and all of that generation. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly, and they multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. I will make you a great nation, God says. Verse 8. Now there arose a new king in Egypt who did not know of Joseph. And he said to his people, Behold, the people of Israel are too many and too mighty for us. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply. And if war breaks out, they join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with heavy burdens. And they built for Pharaoh store cities, Pithom and Ramses, and then they were, but they were more. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. And the Egyptians, Egyptians were in dread of the people of Israel. So they ruthlessly made the people of Israel work as slaves, and they made their lives bitter with hard service, in mortar and brick, and in all kinds of work in the field, and all their work. They ruthlessly made them work as slaves. The Egyptian people or the Israelite people are in Egypt. Now a mighty nation, but being oppressed by the Egyptians because the Egyptians are scared. And a new Pharaoh comes along and doesn't know the story of Joseph and how he saved the Egyptian people. He doesn't know that story, so he oppresses the Israelites. And the story that we're going to hear in the coming weeks is God's redemption for his people. God fighting for the people of Israel. God fighting for his children. God keeping his promises. And God wanting to have a relationship with his people. You see, today we get to celebrate that last promise that God gave Abraham. We get to celebrate that last promise. He made him a great nation, and the promised land is waiting for them, and God's going to get him there. We just get to see the story unfold in Exodus. But we get to see today the last promise, that all of the families in all of the earth will be blessed through you, Abraham. And if we look at the, the genealogy or the generations of the Israelite people from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Joseph to David, and then we keep fast-forwarding forward, we end up with a man named Jesus. A descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, a descendant of Joseph and Jacob, who took his life and said, I'm going to give it up for everybody so that they can have a relationship with God. And all of the families in all of the earth are blessed through that moment. See, God in Genesis chapter 12 was calling his shot. He's saying, I got this. And it starts here. 
This is where my redemption story begins. Today, in these waters, that aren't, these waters aren't special. They came out of the tap. They're not warm. They haven't been blessed. It's just Blue Springs water. Nothing special about it. Came through a garden hose. Right? But in these waters today, we get to see a picture of what that means. As, as folks step into the water, they're saying to us, their church family, hey guys, I want you to know what I believe God has done for me. I want you to know what God has done for me in my life. And they're saying, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he lived a perfect life, that he did nothing wrong in this world, and that he died blameless upon a cross. Why? For the redemption of my sins. But I also believe that he's not dead, he's alive. He raised, rose from the grave three days later and is alive today in heaven and wants to have a personal relationship with me. And we see that picture. We see people go under the water, death, dying, and being raised to walk in newness of life, Scripture says. Dying to themselves and being raised again in newness of life, being changed, being made new. The water doesn't do anything special for them. It's just a picture for us that we can say, yes, isn't God good? Doesn't God keep his promises? Doesn't God fight for his children? He sent his son to the cross. And God wants to have a relationship with us? Yes! Exclamation point. We are excited about that. And so today, as we walk into the waters, it's just an act of obedience of saying, yes, we declare these things and we believe them. And we want our people, our family, to know that and to celebrate with us how amazing our God is. And so today, as we wrap up our message and as we worship one more time, I want you to think about these things. And as the band comes up and those who are getting baptized can move back that way, hear this. As we look at the book of Exodus, as we look at the book of Exodus, Think about where you fit. Where, where are you seen in that story? Where is that mirror a little too focused on you? Are you enslaved? Are you in a place where you've just been stuck there for a long time and it feels like 430 years? And you're just stuck. And God is saying, I want to rescue you. I want to save you. I want to make you new. Or maybe you're at a place where for a long time you've said yes to God and you've trusted him and you've walked with him, but now you're just at a place where you're just aimlessly wandering through the desert. And we'll see that in the story of Exodus later as well. Where you're just confused and you're unsure and you don't know what's next. If that's you and your story, God is saying, I want to have a relationship with you. And I keep my promises. So trust me. And maybe you've just been here, coming to church for a long time, but you just ignore all of it. And your heart is calloused and broken like the heart of the Egyptians. And God is saying, my redemption is for you too.
in this place. My redemption is for you too. My love is for you. My promises are for you. And so today, as we worship, we're going to sing this song that just declares, what a beautiful name is the name of Jesus. What a wonderful name is the name of Jesus. What a powerful name is the name of Jesus. And we're going to sing that song, and then we're going to celebrate with baptism and just seeing the beautiful, wonderful, powerful name of Jesus at work in the lives of our family. But today, where are you? Where are you? And over the next 12 weeks, as we dig into the book of Exodus, are your eyes open to where you might be reflected back to yourself in this story? Because here's what I believe. I believe that God has something supernatural for every single one of us in this, in this book. And so for us in this place today, we need to start to open back and peel back the layers so that we can see ourselves for who we really are. And we can understand how we got to where we're at today so that God can take us somewhere tomorrow. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your love. And we thank you for your word and for your promises. So God, today, as we worship, as we celebrate, God, I pray that your love and your renown and your power and your might might reign over our lives. That we might begin to start to process what it means for us to truly trust you. What it means for us to walk away from our old selves and believe the promises that you've given us and so that we might walk anew, that we might walk forward in this life anew. Help us today, God, to see how we got to where we're at today so that we can trust you with our tomorrow so that we can trust you with our next step, with our next mile, with our next marathon, with our next moment in our life, the next episode in our life, so that we might see you more clearly. So God, move in this place. Let us sing loud in this place. And let us celebrate louder in this place today. We love you, God. And all God's people said, amen.